All right. Hey, we're in a brand new series called Fathered by God. I'm really excited about this. Um, and I want to I tell you um, something near and dear to my heart, and I, I will tell you why. Back in um, uh, 2004, our offices were over at the Cotton Gin Plaza, uh, which, was in Hi- which is in Hiram. And uh, this was a Friday. It was uh, June 25th. I was actually sitting at my desk with uh, a mom and her daughter. The daughter, uh, both older ladies, by the way, the daughter had um, uh, a terminal illness and uh, was, was concerned about you know, her future. And so we were sitting there planning, actually planning out her funeral. And my phone rang in my office, and uh, it was my mom, and she was frantic. And uh, she said, uh, your, your dad is whitewater rafting with your brother Jonathan, who I have an adopted brother who at the time was 14. And, and she said, he, he's missing. And I said, what, is that, what does that mean, he's missing? And uh, she said, they, your, your brother w- just went down the whole about two-hour rafting experience, and your dad fell out of the boat, and, and uh, he's, he hasn't seen him in two hours. Some of you have heard this story before, but many, many of you haven't. Um, so I, I went into rescue mode. My brother Kevin and I, who's four years younger than me, we, we met each other. A friend of ours, a, actually relative, Alan Hornback, jumped in my truck and drove for us. And by the time that we uh, literally got out of the area, we, we knew that my dad uh, had uh, been in a raft, two-man raft with my brother, uh, and uh, the raft got caught on a rock. And so my dad got out of the boat and to, to push the raft off the rock. And when he did, he slipped and fell into the rapids. And he became entrapped underneath uh, a big boulder. And he ended up, he drowned. Now, I was 38 at the time, getting ready to be 39. And, and driving up, by the time I got to the hospital uh, outside of uh, Andrews, North Carolina, which is in Bryson City, uh, I, I knew that my dad had died, and, and I was l- now going there to identify him. And uh, to be honest with you, no one should ever have to go through something like that. But So my 14-year-old brother, uh, who was with my dad when, when he died, we, we, we took him home, and, and we're driving home, and I'll never forget this, driving through a rainstorm, coming back, uh, which was a five-hour drive coming back, and just watching, you know, staring out the window, and... Uh, there was a Passion CD playing in my truck and a Sacred Revolution just playing over and over again. And I remember David Crowder's song, Oh, Praise Him. And I just, there was a, so many emotions going through my mind at the time. And, but the biggest emotion that I was thinking was, for the first time in my life, I'm fatherless. I don't have a dad. I, had never, knew, I never knew what that meant before. My dad and I were pretty close. And, and I started thinking about all of the guys that I knew had lost their dads and ladies who I knew. And I started thinking even more so about just people being fatherless. And over the years, uh, this issue has become something that, that I've really become very, not just intrigued by, but, but I realize that it's, 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 a, it's, it's an issue that uh, has become a plight in our society. Um, I want to read a couple stats to you. And just so you know that when I read these to you, uh, this was presented back in 2012 by a reporter on CNN. He got lit up for reading this stuff on social media. And then the, the Center for Disease and, uh, Control, uh, CDC, came back and said, no, these statistics are right. And so I want to read these to you because I want to make a point. And here's the thing. Stay with me till the end because I'm going somewhere with this, all right? Um, there are right now in the United States 24.7 million children who are in homes without their biological father. 
the 39%, uh, 17.7 million students, grades 1 through 12, live in homes absent of their biological father. In 2012, and the statistics that I was talking about a moment ago, the CDC reported that in the United States, um, this is how it breaks down. Asian American women, 17% of their children are born out of wedlock. Um, white children, 29% are born without a father in the home. Hispanics, 53%. American Indians, 66%. African Americans, 73%. Children born out of wedlock. So on an average, children born in just the year 2010 can expect to spend 49% of their childhood years with one parent. So, I mean, you, you hear something like that, and that's, 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 that impacts you. Well, what's the impact of society? How, how has society been impacted by that? Well, first of all, poverty. Uh, children in fatherless homes are, are almost four times more likely to end up in poverty, to be, to be poor. Um, drug and alcohol abuse. Uh, fatherless children are dramatically at a greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, according to the U.S. Uh, Department of Health and Human Services. Um, you just think about physical and emotional health. There was a study done in 2006 of 1,977 children, ages three and older, living with a father and having a father figure in their life. The, the study says that they had significantly fewer external and internal problems with children living with at least one uh, than, than children living with at least one biological parent. And so some of you may be sitting here wondering, okay, w- w- what's this have to do with where you're going and being fathered by God? Well, listen, since, since my own father died and knowing the impact that it's had on me and now having uh, two boys, who, two children who are now out of my home in college, I've just been captivated by the idea that our earthly fathers have so much power and influence on, on our lives. Whether, whether your experience was good, bad, or whether it's just downright ugly, um, it, it, it's, it, it, fathers have a huge impact on us. But more than that, I'm burdened. I'm really burdened by the impact that being fatherless or even feeling abandoned by a father has on a person's life. It is a powerful, powerful thing. I sat in the first service and talked to a few people who, who've been through this and just listening to them. It's, it's a powerful thing. And I see the impact of this on a very personal level with a lot of the things that we do here at Westridge. Um, as many of you know, we do a lot of work in church planting, and I do a lot of work with, uh, with church planters. And we do assessment and training and... and um, and, and a lot of supporting church planners. And one of the questions that I will always ask a guy who wants to plan a church, and I'll ask him usually within the first probably 10, 15 minutes, is tell me about your relationship with your father. And they'll look at me kind of odd, and I'll say, just tell me about it. Because I know, uh, here, here's, I've worked with enough church planners, and I've mentored enough pastors to tell you that so much of the unhealthy behavior that I see in the pastoral world is linked back to a guy's relationship with his father. And, and a lot of these guys have, have, have severed relationships with their father. There, there's been no redemption from the hurt or pain. And so they're sometimes always trying to, to prove something to someone that's never going to be proud of them. Several of them, guys that I, that I, who call me spiritual father now, have never even met their fathers. They're, they're fatherless. Now, someone asked me, does that mean you don't support them? No, 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 no. We, we help them. We help mentor them through some of that to get them strong. But, but I also see this like with our students. And I know a lot of our students are sitting over here today. Um, eight years ago, my wife, Amy, and I, we actually hosted 
a, uh, a Bible study in our home for ninth grade North Paulding High School students. And we had anywhere on a Wednesday night, we had anywhere from 50 to 75 kids in my house, ninth grade high school students. But get your mind around that for a moment, okay? My house just barely survived that craziness. But we had anywhere from 125, 130 different kids come through our house within a year's time. And, and I cannot tell you how many talks I had with these students who were either struggling or, or who were either fatherless or they were struggling somehow with an issue that related to their relationship with their father. And many of them felt abandoned by their father, even though their father was living in the home with them. And I've talked to so many people, even here in this church, who have marital issues or problems, and so much of it just stems back to their relationship with their father. Listen, this is a powerful, relevant issue that I think doesn't get talked about enough in the church world. And I actually believe that the issue of fatherlessness is an epidemic in our country that is having major repercussions in almost every area of not just life, but of society. And I'm not the only one that thinks this. I read a a report just recently, according to the National Center for Fathering, 72.7 or 72.2% of the U.S. population believe that fatherlessness is the most significant family or social problem facing America today. And I would take it even further to say that this is a worldwide epidemic. Folks, listen, listen, we we are a people inside and outside the church that have some daddy issues, we have staggering numbers of people who are fatherless. Who, who, we have a greater number of people who, who have gone through life, and you're going through life right now, and you feel let down and hurt and wounded and abandoned by a father. And here's the deal. I had a great father. I, I, he was my biggest cheerleader. Outside, my mom and both just my biggest cheerleaders. He told me he believed in me. He constantly told me he loved me. He, he told me he was proud of me. But here's the truth. On June 25th, 2004, he let me down. You say, how did he do that? He died. He didn't mean to do it. He didn't want to do it. If you'd have asked him, he'd have told you. Now, I'm going to live past 100. But he left me fatherless. I was almost 29 years old when this happened with two small boys pastoring a growing church and we were just getting ready to break ground on a building. I had an adopted brother getting ready to go into high school. I mean, just when I needed my dad the most, he abandoned me. He left me. And he didn't choose to. And it wasn't my fault. But the frailty of his humanity couldn't handle what he went through and he disappeared out of my life. And to be honest with you, a piece of my heart died that day that has never, ever been fully restored. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So here's the truth. It doesn't matter whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're brown, whether you're Asian, whether you were born out of wedlock, whether you were born into a home where your dad abused you or abandoned you, or you have a home like mine where you have nothing but wonderful memories of, of your dad. And quite honestly, since my dad, he's been, since my dad died, he's been elevated to sainthood. It's amazing. Um, we all have an earthly father, we, all of us have an earthly father, and we have been impacted in a huge way by the influence of his life on our life. And almost every one of you in this room, at some point, unless, unless you die before your father's die, father dies, you will deal with the issue of being fatherless. And the emotions are going to impact you differently. They're going to impact you, you know, all of us, maybe in a, in a little bit different way. But at some point, almost all of us are going to come to the point where we realize, whoa, I'm fatherless. 
So what are we going to do about this crisis that we find ourselves in? What are we, we going to do about this fatherless issue that we're dealing with in society, in life, and inside the church? Because I don't know about you, but I'll be the first to tell you I have some daddy issues. I have some issues in my life that go back to not, not just being fatherless, but just even some things that, that my dad, who is not perfect, I go back to some of those things. And I still miss my dad. And I've, I've thought about this over the years. What, what is it that I miss about him so much? I mean, we love to watch baseball games together. I mean, we love to watch our, my boys and my nephew's baseball games. And I miss that so much. And, and I miss his laughter. I mean, he la- his laugh was so contagious. He'd get laughing so hard sometimes. We'd go, get out the paddles. Dad's going out. I mean, it was his, we, I miss his love for life. I miss his, 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 his humor. But that's not what I miss the most. You know what I miss so much? I just miss the relationship. I miss the intimacy. See, that's what's missing. That's the issue. And some of you, you, you've never had the intimacy of a father. So some of you have done this in the past or you're doing it now. You're trying to find it in other places, whether it's through a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or sex or money or whatever it is that you're doing. For some of you, it's your husband or wife. And, and you know what? It's just never going to be the same because eventually they're going to fail you. Some of you are lo- still looking for the intimacy of a father, and, and, and it's, it's, it's messing up your life. For some of you, it's impacting you emotionally. For some of you, physically, and certainly spiritually. In, in nearly every arena, this is impacting you. And I have found that as much as I try to mentor you know, and be a spiritual father to some of our young church planners and young pastors, I can never provide the intimacy that they're longing for in a father. But here's the game changer. There is one who can. There is one who can. Now, I find it interesting when I go through the Bible that God over and over refers to himself as a father. God, God actually refers to himself as a father who strengthens and supports the fatherless. Psalm chapter 146, verse 9, he says, The Lord watches over the foreigner, the refugee, and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. He talks about how much he loves us as a father. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he says, See how, how very much our father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that's what we are. And listen to how David describes God being a father. And quite honestly, as I was driving back from seeing, losing my dad that day, June 25, 2004, this was the verse that was going through my mind. God is a father to the fatherless, defender of the widows. This is God who is dwelling, is holy. God is a father to the fatherless. Now for some of you, just the word father is tough for you to hear because all you can equate to is pain. It's a painful word to you for some of you. For some of you, the word father means abandon, it means void, it means loss. For some of you, you're just numb to the word. You, don't even, you just don't think about it anymore. So even the idea of calling God a father, I mean, is, is a challenge for you. And listen, I get it. I want to tell you, I get it as much as I can get it. Because after my dad died, I was actually angry at God for taking my dad when I needed him so much. I was, as a matter of fact, I was so angry that I could not even call God father for many, many months. And, and listen, when you're a pastor and you have to get up and preach every Sunday, that's challenging. I mean, I'm writing in my journal trying to pray. I can't even write the word. I'm on my knees trying to pray, and I'm like, because I, I, I had a father, and I miss him. And then one day, something clicked for me. 
I realized that Jesus understood as, as well what it meant to be fatherless and to be rejected and abandoned by his own father. Some of you may be going, what, what are you talking about? Let me take you to the cross for just a moment. And don't lose me now because I'm going to go deep for a minute. Don't, don't lose me. In Mark chapter 15, verse 33, Jesus is hanging on the cross and it says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, he says, Lama, uh, Lama Sabachthani. All right, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I want you to understand this. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning. And for three hours, he hung in the morning sunlight. Matthew and Mark tells us that right at noon, all of a sudden, the earth became dark. So from from 12 o'clock noon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I mean, it was lights out in the world. And at that moment, something incredible happened. God's love and his holiness collided. Absolute collision. And at that moment, Jesus cries out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me? Why have you rejected me? Why have you abandoned me? For the first time in his life, Jesus experienced what so many people in this world are facing today. He was fatherless. Now, I'm not sure you you've ever grabbed that? And and maybe even right now you're going, you know what, I've got some questions for you about what you just said. Because maybe this is the first time that you've ever really thought about that before. So I want to answer some questions that I think you might have. And here's one of them. Did God really abandon Jesus on the cross? Did he really do that? And the answer is yes, he did. Now, Here's what we need to understand. This, isn't, this wasn't a moment where God failed Jesus. This wasn't a moment when Jesus was no longer God in the flesh. The Trinity wasn't torn apart. This was literally a moment where God broke fellowship with his son. And I want you to think about this. As Jesus is crying out, as he is suffering, and in crying out, God turns his back on him. And every time, every time in Scripture when you see Jesus actually referring to God the Father, he always calls him Father, except for right here at this very moment on the cross. Instead of Father, he calls him God. Why did he do that? Because the fellowship had been broken. God's presence was gone. At this very moment, Jesus was left to suffer and endure the cross alone. I mean, at this very moment, the Father turns his back on him. The Father abandons him. Some of you are going, why would he do that? Why would God abandon Jesus? It's his son. All right, well, to understand that, I want you to, in your mind, let's go to the Garden of Gethsemane for just a moment. This is the evening of the Last Supper. This is the evening where Jesus is with his disciples, and he's praying in in the garden to his Father. And here's what he prays in, in Mark 14, 32. He says, it says, and they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter, James, and John. He began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. So remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, don't miss this now, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, which is the most intimate word that you can use for God. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In the garden at this, at this moment, we, just, we see a very different side of Jesus that we've ne- we don't see really anywhere else in the Bible. 
Up until this moment, you have caring, you have loving, you have gracious, you have bold, you have confident, you have authoritative, you have fearless. But when we're in this, we're in this moment in the garden with Jesus, he's distressed. He's troubled. He's filled with sorrow. Luke's account tells us that he was under so much stress that he was actually sweating drops of blood. That's how heavy this moment was for Jesus. So the big question is, how, how does a man go from bold and fearless to, be under, be, to being under so much stress that he's actually sweating blood? How, how does a man go from so much contentment and peace to being filled with so much sorrow that he actually feels like he's going to die? His, his, chest is, his heart is about to burst out of his chest. Well, Mark 14, 36 gives us the answer. Jesus prays this, Father, remove this cup from me. Now, what does that mean? Because it seems kind of a same, kind of a weird request. Hey, take away the, take away the cup, take the plate too. No, no, no. In the Old Testament, and you got to go there to understand what's going on here. The prophet Isaiah, he writes in Isaiah chapter fifty-one, verse seventeen. He, he talks about this cup that's full of the wrath of God. And Isaiah paints a picture of God actually holding a cup full of His anger, full of His fury, full of vengeance towards sin. And he writes about that that God is extending this cup towards sinful people, getting ready to pour it out on them for their own, just to punish them for their sin. And you say, how could that be? Well, the Bible tells us that God is holy, he is just, and because of that, he cannot handle sin. He can't look past sin. He can't just let it go. He doesn't turn his back away from it, you know, turn his head from it. No, 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 he doesn't. There's no free pass that's given to us when we sin. His very nature doesn't allow it to happen. Because if God could look past sin or simply let it go, then he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be just. He simply wouldn't be God. So the punishment for that is death. The punishment for sin demands, it demands a sacrifice. It demands, some, it demands death, and not just physical death, not just separation from soul and spirit from the body, but no, no, no. It demands spiritual death, separation of soul and spirit from, from God. In other words, because of sin, We are spiritually fatherless. We are separated from God the Father. And so here's Jesus in the garden. He's begging God to remove this cup. Remove this cup of wrath. Remove sin's punishment that's just getting ready to be poured all out on him. Every sin that you will commit ever in the past, present, or future, it's all being poured on. Imagine the weight. He's begging God not to have to experience what it's like to be separated from the Father for the first time in his life and to be cast outside of his presence. And he's so overwhelmed with the thought of being abandoned in this way by his Father that it's literally causing him to sweat drops of blood and to be overwhelmed to the point of death. Why was Jesus facing this type of punishment from God? Why was he feeling the weight of this cup of God's wrath and anger towards sin? Well, listen, here you need to understand this. It wasn't because of it, something he had done. It wasn't because of some mistake that he had made. No, no, Jesus was sinless. Jesus was a perfect man. There was absolutely no earthly reason for Jesus to be punished for sin. Jesus was facing physical death and being abandoned by God the Father at the cross because of your sin, because of my sin. Jesus willingly submitted himself to God's wrath and the punishment of sin for one simple reason. You.
You, me, us. Erwin Lutzer, author, says if, if, if the father turned away from the son at the cross, it was only because they agreed it must, it must be so to purchase our redemption. It was a horrid necessity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The writer Paul says that at the cross Jesus became our sin. In order for God to punish Jesus for sin, Jesus had to assume our sin and become responsible for your sin. So I want you to think about this for a moment. This is how deep this goes. Think about the sin that you're struggling with right now. Think about all of the sin that you've struggled with in the past. You're like, I don't want to go there. Think, just think about it for a moment. At the cross, Jesus became those sins. At the cross, Jesus became your anger problem. At the cross, he became your pride and your arrogance. He became your racism and your bigotry. He became your lust issue. He became your adultery. He became your pornography addiction. He became the way you treat your kids, the way you treat your husband and and, and your wife. At the cross, God didn't see his perfect son, Jesus, any longer hanging there. Instead, he saw Jesus, the guy who, who can't control his anger. He saw Jesus, the adulterer. Jesus, the racist. He saw Jesus, the porn addict. Jesus, the prideful guy. And at the moment when the light became darkness, Jesus and Jesus became our sin, he took our sin, every bit of it, and he put it on himself. And when that happened, and when God couldn't stand to look at it any longer, he just just can't do it. His nature won't let him. And he couldn't look at it any longer at his son, who is now covered with all of our sin. He abandoned him, turned his back on him, left him. He removed his presence from him. He broke fellowship with his son for the first time in eternity, and he poured out every bit of wrath and every bit of punishment that your sin and mine deserves. He poured it out onto his own son. You say, why? Why would he do that? Paul says Jesus became our sin. He was abandoned by God. He took our punishment so that we might become the righteousness of God. He did it so that we could be right with God. Listen, in order, in order, in order for us to have salvation, in order for us to have eternal life and a relationship with God, Jesus had to provide a way for us to be forgiven and for things to be made right with God. The intimacy and the fellowship that we so longed for from a father was lost spiritually when man sinned in the Garden of Eden and Jesus restored it on the cross. Jesus was abandoned and rejected by his father so that we would never have to be. Boom! Oh, that's what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That's why he had to, abandon, he had to be abandoned by God. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. Jesus takes our sin, he takes our punishment, and clothes us in righteousness. And he did it so that, he did this for us so that we could stand in the presence of God the Father, as Colossians 1, chapter 21 describes, as be, so that we could be blameless, above reproach, and free from accusation. Galatians 4, 6 actually calls us, God calls us his own children now. He says, because we are, we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to now be able to call out, 
Abba, Father, the most intimate word that we could ever use to describe God. Lord, Abba, Father, we, we have access to him now. This is why God abandoned his son Jesus at the cross so that we could be forgiven, so that, that things could be made right in the sight of God, but, but, more, but more than anything, so that we could have a relationship with a father who would never leave us, never reject us, never turn his back on us, never abandon us, never fail us, never let us down, never die on us, and never walk out on us. You think about where you are. Think about where you are for just a moment. Think about your father. You think about Jesus and his words on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God abandoned Jesus on the cross, he will never abandon us. That's what happened there. And so regardless of the sin, regardless of the circumstance, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you have a father who loves you and he will never leave you. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh my goodness, what a powerful promise in God's word. Now Satan would love for you to believe that during your worst moments that God has left you that he's walked out on you, that he's abandoned you. He's no different than your earthly father. You're fatherless. It's a lie. It's a lie and don't buy it. Because of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, we can experience the intimacy that we're longing for with a father who knows everything about us, believe it or not, and still loves us. We have a father who sees all of our flaws and all of our failures and, and he refuses to bail on us. We, we, we can find our strength and our peace and our security and our significance in a father who has never gone back on one promise, never. Listen, when Jesus rose from the dead, not only did he conquer death, but intimacy with the father was restored. Some of you may be going, Jesus, God still has his turn on his back on Jesus? No, 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 no. Intimacy was restored. He was reunited with his father. And because of that, because of that, we can have that very same intimacy. Do you see the relevance of this? Do you see how this impacts every single one of us? Today, God wants to be your father. He longs to have an intimate relationship with you. He created you for intimacy with him. Think about that for a moment. He, he created you because he wants to love you, to, give, to, put, to pour love on you, and he wants intimacy with you. That's amazing. And if you've already received salvation by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be your Savior, but you've walked away from that intimacy, you've chosen because of sin to just walk away. You God hasn't left you, but you've, you just walked out of fellowship. You've walked out of the intimate relationship that God wants to have with you. This morning, he longs for you to return to him. He misses it. He created you to have intimacy with him. And you're choosing not to. And God the Father says, well, that's why I created you. I want to I I hang out. I want to I I have a deep relationship with you. I want to do what you, I want to do for you what your earthly father could never do, ever. You have a father who loves you and he's never leaving and he wants you to come back. 
However, listen, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior, it doesn't matter what your status is with your earthly father right now. You have no relationship with God the Father. You are spiritually fatherless. And that's a huge issue. That's a big problem. But here's the good news. The Father has made a way for all of that to change. It was through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God the Father abandoned Jesus the Son so he would never have to abandon us. Psalm 2710. David says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Think about about just for a moment. Every one of us in this room have a father. Some of you may have never met him before. Some of you... um, you think about that word and it just brings pain you, you feel words like abandonment void, loss some of you in here like me you're trying to be the best dad you can be I mean can I, can I tell you dads look at me for a moment you guys are going to be dads one day you want to know our number one job our number one job is to turn our fathering over to a heavenly father so that when our kids, as they grow up in our home, that they will stop relying on us and start relying on God. When they leave our homes, that they know that God will never leave them. Because here's the deal. I can't tell you how many times I've had to apologize to my kids. How many times I've let them down. How many times I've gone, oh my goodness, I just, I just messed up there. And so what do, I want to, what do I want them to do as they're out of my house? As they're making their own decisions off at college? As, 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 they know that I'm jar, just fragile, jar of clay. One day I'm going to die on them. I'm going to leave them. Hopefully not today, but I'm going I'm to leave. One day I'm going to let them down. I want their faith anchored in a father who will never let them down, who will never leave them, who will never go back on a promise, who will never have to apologize to them. That's our goal, dads. So you're here today, and you're spiritually fatherless. God's made a way for all of that to be right through his son, Jesus. You say, what do I do? Receive it by faith. It's a gift called grace. So bow your heads for just a moment, all of you. If you've never received God's gift of salvation, God's gift of forgiveness. Everything that I just talked about, this what he did, what he and Jesus did together to make things right, to offer you an opportunity to make things right. I want you to pray in your heart with me right now. Just say, Lord, Jesus, Father, I never knew. You did all of that for me out of love. Something I could have never done for myself. You've made a way for me to be one of your children, for me to actually now be adopted into your family, to have a spiritual father who will never leave me. And so I put every bit of my faith and my trust in that, in what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross through the resurrection. Jesus, you are the son of God. Lord, I am so sorry for my sinfulness. Would you forgive me at this very moment? And I receive your salvation into my life right now at this very moment I want to go from being spiritually fatherless and dead in my sin to being Lord adopted into your family where I can cry out Abba 
where you see me blameless because of Jesus. 